Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. That's right, and you can get your questions answered live today because live we person. are here and ready to do it. <laughs> you missed one week and all of a sudden. <laughs> I know, I know. What can I say? Yeah, we had a great Labor Day weekend. Got to do a little traveling. Lane and I, it was our wedding anniversary, so we decided to fly up to New York. And went yeah. To New York City. Spent, yeah, spent a long weekend in Manhattan. Nice. Yeah, great. Just had a wonderful, wonderful time walking around, seeing the sights. I walked over the Brooklyn Bridge. Walked over. Like, yeah, kind of an interesting, particularly at night. You can walk over the skyline of Manhattan in the background. Something, oh, cool. Something to see. Something everybody needs to do at least one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, had a really, really good time. Just a great little bit of a sad note. When we came back, our little dog had to have surgery. She, right. Yeah, I had a disc in her back went out and ended up paralyzed from the waist down. So oh, my she goodness. had surgery tuesday and she's back home now but still can't move her leg so hope your prayers go out far yes i hope she gets better oh yeah the dog means an awful lot to me <laughs> give us a call it's 499-9526 and we'll be glad to try to get you some advice and point you in the right direction just in case you don't get a chance to call in or don't care to be on the radio all right or something maybe occurs to you after we're off the air today or even during the week next week mm-hmm. you can always go to our website and send lewis an email and get your questions answered that way the address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just fill out the little form and send it in, and Lewis will get it back to you within 24 hours. Right, and that's the best way to get an answer. A lot of times folks will call the shop and say, can I speak with Lewis? And I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but I just don't have time during the day to feel calls. So if you have a question about the shop or bringing your car in or any of that, the ladies who answer the phone can definitely handle any question you might have. Sure. If you have a technical question, you just want to chit-chat, go ahead and send me an email. That way you'll get an answer back because I'm spending 100% of my time just managing the shop and dealing with the customers who are already there, the people who are paying my salary. I have to – all of my attention has to go to them, and it basically really consumes 100% of my time doing sure. that. Sure, and if you get a minute during the day, you'll check the emails, and a lot of times you'll get an answer back pretty quick. Yeah, normally you're going to get an answer back within a couple of hours because I check that email several times during the day. Don't mind that at all, but it allows me to do it when I have time to do it. Uh-huh. Instead of I've got five estimates in front of me to get written with three people sitting there waiting and – Parts guys waiting and right, it gets it texts gets in the shop waiting busy. for something else to go to, and it all has to be done in a specific way. But hey, while you're on there, go ahead and look around. Put an article on this morning on wheel locks, and that is a thing that a lot of folks don't really realize they have. Uh huh. Until they have a flat on the side <laughs> of the road and can't figure out how to get the lug nuts can't off. Can't get the wheel off, and about the best thing that's going to happen that day is going to be a wrecker coming pick you up to bring you somewhere to get the wheels taken off. And that's about eighty, a hundred dollar tow bill. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something. If you have wheel locks on your car, you have to understand the responsibility that comes with it and how to handle that. And this article goes into that in depth. Kind of tells you a lot about what they are, why they're there, how they work. Some ways to prevent having problems with them. Uh-huh. So, good article. Pop on there. See what you think. www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to the phone lines with Caleb. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing this Doing morning? great, we're sir. doing great. Wonderful. Look, I've got a 2011 GMC Sierra 1500. Okay. Just got a letter in the mail last week from GM saying there's a that some of these trucks have a faulty sensor it can cause the truck to idle rough. Okay. And just wondering if you heard anything about that, knew anything about it, and 
I hadn't seen the exact bulletin you're talking about, Caleb, but from what I understand, it has something to do with the throttle position sensor. That is a sensor that tells the computer how much throttle you're applying and how much you're pressing down on the gas pedal. And that definitely does have an input to how smoothly the vehicle is going to idle. When the throttle position sensor goes bad, it can cause to idle up, idle down, and sort of hunt for idle or search for idle. So I imagine that's what they're talking about. I'm not sure if they're going to replace the sensor. I'm sure they'll at least inspect it, see if it's working properly. And if not, maybe replace it. Or possibly there's even a program where it reads the sensor differently. But again, I read so many technical bulls, I don't remember all of them. It's pretty common to get stuff like that. When they're designing vehicles, a lot of times people say, well, I've got a sensor. Well, no, no, you've got about 200 to 300 sensors and probably right. 70 computers on that vehicle. And one of them is probably reading off under certain conditions. That kind of stuff happens when they're designing tens of thousands of parameters. Something gets overlooked or some condition gets overlooked that may only show up after the fact. I remember a while back there was a vehicle and it would start to ping when you accelerate. And it would only do that after about eighty or 90,000 miles. And come to find out it was a software glitch. Why it took eighty to 90,000 miles to show up, I don't know, but that's what it was. And you had to change the computer to fix it. I'm sure this is probably something like that. It could be something where there's a software update that makes the sensor read differently. It could be a sensor that's mounted improperly possibly a wire that rubs somewhere and chafes. I mean, there's thousands of things. If you send me an email, I'll look it up for you and give you a little bit better answer. I'm just not familiar with it off the top of my head, but okay. I'm sure it's something like, I know those okay. engines have had some idle problems over the years. They never really idled quite as smooth as the older engines did, and possibly this will be a fix for that. Okay, and look, I'm new to the truck world. Yeah, I've got 30,000 miles on this mm -hmm. truck. Yes, sir. Any general maintenance tips other than the, do the old change every 4,000 miles? The biggest question is, what are you doing with the vehicle? Yeah. How do you drive it? What's your average trip? How long do you normally drive at a time? Average trip, New Orleans, twice a week. And so long, long great. trips. Yeah, right, under those conditions, Caleb, you're not going to have a lot of maintenance requirements at 30K because most of your big issues aren't going to show up to probably closer to 80 or 90,000 miles. They're built to be pretty trouble-free. I guess the things you want to watch on it, when the vehicle gets about four years old, you want to look at having the coolant replaced on it. That's the antifreeze in it because that'll become corrosive and start to eat the system up, and you don't want to wait until it's depleted. GM says it'll go five years, but that's a little optimistic in my experience. You can have the pH checked on it, you can have the specific gravity check, and you can also have what they call reserve alkalinity checked pretty easily. That'll tell you when it's time to change, but that's one of the big things we see. People tend to forget about that, and it starts to corrode the system. First thing you know, they either got an overheating problem or they got a leak somewhere, and it's because the system's all corroded. Right. Now, how about a train? You know, I hear so many differing opinions on yes, transmission fluid, when to change. I generally uh, recommend about 50000 on that truck. On the older trucks, we recommend it 30, but that one has Dextron 6 in it, which is a synthetic fluid. It can go a little longer. So generally around 50,000 miles, particularly the way you're driving it, those are more or less ideal conditions where you're getting a lot of long trips. What's really tough on a truck is the folks who only go to the grocery store and back and maybe to the beauty shop and back or go to church and back or driving two or three, five miles at a time. That's really, really tough on a truck. Are they towing a heavy load with it right. all the time? You got a little bit more maintenance then? Under your conditions, I'd say you're in the pretty much ideal conditions. I would get that coolant changed, and I'd look at the transmission around 50,000 miles. Great, fellas. Well, I appreciate it. All right, Caleb. All right, sir. Thanks, man. No Bye-bye.
right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive fire, I love to see people who are proactive. Sure. They're not going to wait until they have a problem. They're going to ask ahead of time, what do I need to do? Right. Then they're going to start watching for it. These are the folks who keep a vehicle for normally 200,000 miles, have very, very few problems. 15, 20 years on a vehicle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of makes my day when I hear sure. folks like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going back to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Morning, guys. Good morning. Hey. I have one of those problems sort of hard to diagnose. I'm a 2005 Explorer with the V6. Mm-hmm. I recently had a few things done to it, and they changed the serpentine belt, the one big belt. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a few days after that, I started it one morning, and there was a real loud tapping noise, not a knock, but a tap, and I thought it was maybe a valve. Okay. But it went away after about 30 seconds, and it doesn't happen regularly, maybe once or twice a week, mm-hmm. and it always goes away. So What I'm engine is not, in that one, David? It's a V6. Four liter? Six liter. Four liter, yeah. Yeah, they had a few problems on the four liter with the timing chain making some noise. It has a kind of a peculiar setup. If I'm not mistaken, it has three timing chains on it. Right. And I think they had some trouble with the timing chain making a little rattle first thing in the morning. And what will make that a lot worse, David, is if you have either the wrong oil in it, the wrong viscosity oil, or if you have an aftermarket oil filter, particularly of certain types, that can make that problem much, much worse. Because the way that chain is tensioned is there's a part called a hydraulic tensioner, which is a little hydraulic cylinder. Oil pressure has to reach that little cylinder to push the chain tight, and it holds it against a guide, and that's what quiets the engine down. And with the Ford oil filter, they have a silicone drain-back valve in the filter. When you turn the engine off, oil wants to drain down out of the engine back to the pan from gravity. This little valve helps to prevent some of that oil from running out, which when you start the car, it gets up to the top end faster. And if you put some of the aftermarket filters, and don't you mention any names on the air, but some of the real popular ones that you buy at department stores just don't have the same type of drain back arrangement in them. The oil can drain back to the pan, so you're starting up dry. It jerks that chain, which will actually damage the guides in time and causes that rattle. There's an article on my website. Just type in timing chain forward and it's going to bring it up it's on the v8s which is a real big problem with the v8 but the same thing kind of sort of applies to the six owner as well i would check that also i think that engine requires 5w20 20. synthetic blend and if you're putting 5w30 or 10w30 or non-synthetic blend all in that's going to make that problem much much worse and it's going to shorten the life of the engine considerably so you might want to check and make sure you got the right all the right filter on it Beyond that, there are other things. There is the tensioner itself can go bad, and I think that can be replaced on that engine without taking the engine apart. I think you can get to it from the outside. I'm not sure, but I would probably make arrangements with someone that I trusted, get the vehicle to them the night before and leave it so they've got it first thing in the morning. And like you said, it doesn't happen every time, so you may have to leave it a couple of days just to make sure they can hear it. But no kind of a rattle is going to be good. No matter what it is, it's going to get worse because anything that's rattling is going to cause a problem. So you want to head it off before it becomes a real issue to you. Okay. Yeah, because uh, to get to those chains and everything on that four, on that four liter, the engine has to come out and into pieces to actually get to that chain on the back yeah, so side. You don't want to let that get stretched or break a guide or something right. because then you're into a major problem that might be easy to prevent. That's a real cheap repair, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you betcha. I guess everything's relative to the federal yeah. government. That would be a cheap repair. But <laughs> well, that's true. I've always used the, the Ford oil, the blend, the synthetic mm-hmm. blend, as they do, and, and the Ford filter. Okay. Okay. So I think I'm good there. It sounds like it. Does, it's have 140,000 miles on it. Yeah, so it could nerves. be the tensioner itself. The little hydraulic tensioner could be sticking on you. And, again, of course, we could be totally off base. I mean, there's a lot of things that can rattle like that that we're not thinking about. 
it could be even the serpentine belt tensioner can rattle sometimes under certain conditions or a pulley or whatever. It's just I would have that checked, and if someone says, hey, that's a normal noise, don't really worry about it, or it's the kind of noise that's not going to hurt you, well, that's great, but you just don't want to let it go. I'm getting real nervous about noises and rattles in engines. Yeah, I hear you. Well, thanks for the time, guys. All right, Dave. All right, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive fight, we'd love to have you. We're going back to the phone lines with Colin. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Couple of questions. Okay. I got an old ten Ford, but I believe it's a four seven engine. Four six. Four six. Okay. Yes, sir. What's the difference in that and the five four and the construction of them? Well, they're both what they call a modular engine. They're very very common lower end parts on both of them. Now the five four comes in more than one rendition. It comes in a two valve and a three valve. In fact, actually a four valve as well. And I think the four six also comes in a four valve. Correct. What kind of vehicle was it in? It's a F-150. Yeah, uh, in, in a pickup truck, it only comes in the two-valve on the 4.6. Basically, it's just a larger displacement. The cylinder bore is the same on both of them, but the stroke on the 4.6, I think, is 90 millimeters, and the stroke on the 5.4 is 105.8 millimeters. So the piston travels up and down in the cylinder a little further due to the crankshaft stroke, which gives you more cubic inches of displacement. But the lower end, the bottom, the cylinder block and all is the same. If it's a two-valve, it's basically the same, just the displacement's different. If it's a three-valve, what they did is they crowded a third valve into that cylinder head, and it also comes with variable cam timing and stuff with the 5.4. I actually prefer the 4.6 to the 5.4 myself. We've seen way less problems with the 4.6 than we did with the 5.4. Okay, so it's just as durable. Yeah, it's a lot more so in my opinion. I like the 4.6 a lot better. When they crowded that third valve into the 5.4, they've just picked up a lot more. Well, like any more, when you add complexity to something, you're going to add problems. Yes, sir. It's, it's just a much more complex design, and in my opinion, just not worth it. I, I would much prefer the 4.6. It's got a 60,000 mile, and I hear it's not a tap, it's just a little knock in it. A little, is that, is that common? It is common, yes, but it's not normal. I don't know if you heard the last call I was just talking to, but the same exact things apply to that engine, even more so. If you go on my website and type in like 4.6 liter timing chain, you're going to see an article on that topic, and Colin, if you're not doing it now, that engine needs 5W20 synthetic blend motor oil. Don't put 530, don't put 1030, don't put non-synthetic. And it requires a Ford oil filter. The filter on that one's an FL820S. And that filter has a silicone drain bag valve in it, which holds oil in the top end of the engine, which keeps it from doing that kind of stuff. Now, obviously, there are other things that can cause that, but that's a very common issue. We just did one Thursday, I think, Thursday yeah. where gentleman had a timing chain guide breaking the engine on a 4.6, and that's a pretty big deal. That's about a 10-hour repair. You have to take the whole front of the motor down, replace timing chains, guides, tensioners, and everything. So that can be prevented in some cases just by using the correct oil and using the correct filter. I would not ever put an aftermarket filter on that engine, and I'd be sure I was using the 5W20 synthetic blend all okay it needs synthetic I synthetic blend truck. yes sir and the one other question you please. bet prius toyota tells me now that's synthetic all to run at ten thousand miles i wouldn't do it well that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay, yeah toyota's in the business of selling new cars <laughs> right <laughs> yeah you can do that but you're going to definitely put a lot more wear and tear on the engine you're not ever going to come out look at things from a different perspective than i guess some I look at overall lowest cost. You know, I'm not looking at the, the immediate price. I'm looking at what's my overall lowest cost. 
And if I save a little bit on oil change here and there, but I take out an engine, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm I'm changing my oil based on the way I drive. And if your average trip is real long, like the first caller drives to New Orleans two or three times a week, well, you could probably go four or 5,000 miles on that kind of driving conditions. But most people drive to the grocery store and back. They drive to work and back. They drive to church on Sunday. They put in five or six miles a run. And if you're doing that, you need to be changing around 3,000 miles. Okay, I've been changing on five. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, again, just depends on your driving conditions. Same thing, if you go to the website and just put in the search bar something like oil change interval, it's going to give you a whole story on that topic, tell you exactly when you ought to be changing. I appreciate it very much. Y'all do a wonderful job. Hi, right, Colin. Thanks Thank for calling, you. man. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. All right, got to take our quick little break. Mel and Herb, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. Travel my way, take the high. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Haldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Dream Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And we've got Herb's been patiently holding. Good morning, Herb. Yes, I got an one GMC Yukon trying to change the heater hoses. Mm-hmm. One of them has a clamp, and one of them has a round black plastic thing with a two little holes, a little hole on each side. How uh-huh. do I get off? That is a quick connect, and if you look at the top of that connector, there should be two ears sticking up. Okay. You squeeze those two ears in, and what it does is it unlocks those two pieces of plastic that are in those two holes you just described, and then okay. it just pulls out. Now, a lot of times, they'll get real brittle, and when you squeeze those two ears, they break off. Okay. So then you have to take a screwdriver or something and push those two little ears in where that heater hose will disconnect itself. All right. That is what they call a quick connect heater hose, and everybody's going to them. They love them. And Herb, why are you in there fighting that thing, cussing, fussing, sweating? You can be confident by the fact that that probably saved GM about three seconds on the assembly line. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Save me no three seconds. Yeah, some accountant at GM decided they could save three seconds of assembly by putting them on there instead of a clamp like they used for 10 million years, you know? <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye bye. 499 9526, a number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Mel online. Good morning, Mel. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Program. Thank you. 98 Expedition 4.6. Mm-hmm. My daughter, she got it not long ago. And the people had replaced the alternator and been working fine. Yesterday she called me. She started out to the door and everything went all right. All of a sudden it went to 18 volts. She was already at uh, the store and I said, well, don't drive it like that. Mm-hmm. Have somebody there to, that you know to take the wires off the alternator and drive it home. 
but I knew it didn't need no 18 volts. No, not at all. That'll do a lot of damage. Yeah. What do you think? Mel, that alternator is regulated internally. There's a regulator built into it. I would almost have to say it would be a defective regulator. On some of the later model ones, that alternator is controlled by the PCM. I don't think that one is PCM controlled. I'm pretty sure it's all internal to the alternator itself. Depending on what brand of alternator they put on it, they may have just gotten a defective one. And even if it was a motorcraft bought from Ford, we do see a lot of failures on those alternators. They've just got... I don't know, for some reason it's hard to rebuild that thing. The aftermarket ones generally don't last a week to 10 days. The Ford Motocraft, you have much better luck with them, but even those, we have had to replace quite a few of them. Well, that's good to hear. I was afraid it was in the computer. I, I don't think on that one it would I be. I don't believe I'm on a 98. Sure that, yeah, that, that's a little bit older. And the newer ones, yes, it's all controlled by the PCM, so you could be into a whole other range of things. But Not on I mean, a 98. That could be very easily tested and... It'll tell you, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's all internally regulated. So well, if it's he, too much, it's just gonna—it's not cutting it back when it should. I asked him to take it off and go and have it tested, mm -hmm. you know, where, so. Yeah, I wouldn't do that because that's not going to give you an accurate check. You need to take it somebody who knows how to really test one, test it on the car. Anytime you take them off and test them, you, you're basically not doing any good because yeah. it's, not, it's not testing it under its load or under the conditions that it's operating under. Well, all right. I all right. Think that that helped me a lot. I okay, Ms. Mel. Thank you, sir. Good luck. All right, one more quick little break, and we'll be right back. Gerald, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities in rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me. And take your vehicle to Agco, where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we got Gerald online. Good morning, Gerald. Hello, how you doing? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. Listen, I got a 2002 Barada, a Barada Oldsmobile, all-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Got about 120000 on it. We're having a lot of trouble with the gauges. Now, don't quit running. It keep running good. The gauges going to zero off yeah, and on. Yeah, that's pretty like common. You hit a hole, it jumps on. Pretty common now, problem. Okay, now my other problem is I've done had it fixed once, the front wheel drive. Mm -hmm. They keep giving me trouble. They're trying to lock up sometimes when you turn and make a noise, and I've done had that fixed once. My question is, can that front wheel drive be disconnected? On the all-wheel drive, I do not think it can. There may be something you could do, but it's pretty much integrally built in. The transfer case and all is an integral part of the vehicle. I mean, I'm not going to say it couldn't be. It could be, but it would be very involved, probably more involved than repairing what you got. I don't think there's any kind of an easy fix. I could look at it and see. I think there's an encoder motor on that you may be able to shift to an out of 
condition. Is it full-time all-wheel drive, or is it something yes, you can sir. shift in and out? It just slips when uh, you go to turn. Yeah, yeah. if it's, if it's full-time, it's probably got some kind of a viscous clutch, and, and I doubt there's going to be an easy way. I mean, yeah, you could take the whole powertrain out and put a two-wheel drive powertrain in that vehicle, but that's going to be more expensive than repairing what you got. Uh, the thing is, almost like it looks like a new car. My son gave it to my wife, and, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, I'm trying to find. You, we want it fixed. Yes, sir. What is your address? Eleven four ten Corsi Boulevard. Just go to the internet and just look up agcoauto.com. A G C O A U T O dot com. That's my website, man. It's got mapping there from anywhere in the world and tons of information on us. Well, I was thinking about bringing it in just to let you check it out. Yeah, we can check it for you. Just and what you said at eleven fourteen. Eleven four one zero Corsi Boulevard. Okay, and then you can check out the needles. So yes, sir. Thing might be called That's the, the instrument panel needles. cluster. Those are very, very, very common to go out. It uses the same stepper motors that the Chevy pickups and stuff used, which were defective, and they actually recalled the Chevy pickup and the Silverado and the Yukon, but they did not recall that one up to 70,000 miles. Do you have more than 70,000 on it? One, 120. Yeah, see, it's yeah. not going to be under recall anyway, but I don't think the Bravado was ever recalled, even though it is the same defective stepper now, motor when it does that like they all on mm-hmm. zero if i hit a hole or something they'll jump back on yeah all at the same time yes sir well yeah. we could yeah. be into a loose connection yeah. too yeah, yeah it's possible you got a loose zero. connection or something particularly if anybody's ever been into the dashboard working on it well, not that i know of mm-hmm. so your computer would pick up all of that i don't need a computer for that <laughs> all i need is a mechanic knows what he's doing <laughs> yeah as long as it'll act up we can we can tell right. you what it is you charge to check them out it's $90 per hour and we charge in oh, one tenth okay. of an hour increments so if it's if it been 10 minutes it's nine dollars if i spent a half hour it's 45 dollars take an hour or less yeah. to diagnose that okay all righty appreciate it man uh, all right. one, i'll get that one day this week okay just give elaine a call and she'll handle everything for you give me your phone number then. well just go on the website i don't have a computer oh man come on <laughs> you don't have a computer <laughs> i don't have a computer it's 291 6900 yes sir Thank you for your time. All right, Gerald. Thanks, weekend. man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number of you want to be part of the automobile, we'd love to have you. Tell you, when you hear somebody doesn't have a computer, it's almost like saying, I don't have a cell phone. Well, <laughs> you don't have a cell yeah, phone. Yeah, one of the two of us don't have a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> That's 50% in this group. There you go. <laughs> People look at you real funny when you tell them that. I say, well, I just don't have a need for it. There you go. I well, just, you know, guess if you had a need for it, you yeah, if I had a need for it, I'd have one. But uh, I'm not saying they're not great. I'm not saying they're not wonderful. I'm not saying everybody else in the world shouldn't have one. But I just don't want one. Don't need it. Don't need it. Don't need it. Don't want it. Four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to give us a call, just be glad to try to help you out. And you can call us from a landline or a cell phone. That's right. And you can call us from anywhere in the world <laughs> if you know the extension. That's uh, right. Country codes well, to get out. The, and, call the exit code, uh, and that's pretty simple. It's usually a one or a zero, or depending on your country that you're calling out of, and uh, Pretty simple. You just add that to the prefix of all the other digits you got yeah, pressed. There you go. <laughs> About 35 numbers you got to dial there, but uh, you give us a call. You know, we really like hearing from folks outside of our calling area. And if you do call us from outside the 225 area, we'll get you an Agco t-shirt shipped out there, whoever calls from the furthest distance. That's right. And we only have one request, and it is strictly a request. Mm-hmm. It's not mandated. Mm-hmm. You take a picture of yourself with the shirt on in front of a local landmark and send it to us so we can put it on our website. That's right. And folks enjoy seeing that kind of stuff and uh-huh. just kind of lets us know where all our listeners are. I know I get email. I had a guy from Wales that emailed earlier this week with a problem with his car and actually had an alignment issue, I think it was, uh-huh. and gave him some advice on it. He was pretty happy with that. But, yeah, folks from all over the world actually listening to the Automotive Hour, a little Baton Rouge show. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, that's right. And we always appreciate hearing from our Baton Rouge guests as well. Sure. And we're going back to our phone lines with Lester. Good morning, Lester. 
Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2000 Jeep Wrangler. Okay. I'm having an issue with my, I think it's the ignition. Okay. I'll hit a bump and my windshield wipers and some of the dash complex will go out. Okay. Uh, How about the AC blower motor? Does it kick on? No, off? It, it works fine. Hmm, okay. Uh, now I can wiggle the key a little bit mm-hmm. and, uh, Everything will come back on. Yeah, yeah. Lester, they've had a ton of problems with those ignition switches and all the Chrysler products. I know we change them out all the time. Some of them, the AC blower motor is wired through the ignition switch, and it will actually do that, and the blower will go out. But not always. depends on what terminal or terminal is burned up. And it could be the switch, or it could be the harness that plugs onto the switch. Either let one will ask, do the same thing. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. I changed the electrical component of it mm-hmm. about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And didn't change the actual ignition switch itself. Well, it be, the electrical part is a switch. The other part's a lock cylinder. Okay. Uh, no, so lock, the lock that. would not do it, no, sir. But it could very well be the harness that plugs onto the switch. You have to look at those things very, very, very carefully because many times when they burn up, and also when the switch burned up, you got to remember it burned up for a reason. A good switch didn't just burn up. Most of the time, something in the circuit is probably drawing excessive amperage, and that's what burned the first one up. And all you did is went in and treated the symptom when you changed the switch. That was the part that was burned up. But whatever was drawing too much amperage through it is probably still drawing too much amperage through it. So it could have burned the switch up again, or it could be the harness was burned as well as the switch and just got overlooked and didn't get changed, and now the harness is causing the same problem. Any way to tell whether the harness is bad or not? Oh, absolutely. Do a voltage drop test across it. All right. Huh? Yeah, it it, it can be tested for sure. Sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for that information. All right, Lester. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six is number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. I've seen those key cylinder switches mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. cause a theft deterrent really? systems code. If the key doesn't work right, mm-hmm. it'll kick the theft off on the vehicle that it thinks it's yeah, being stolen. I know a lot of the GMs with the pass two system, the chip for the theft deterrent system is actually in the lock cylinder. Uh-huh. It's not part of the ignition switch or the key like it used to be. It's actually a little chip in that lock cylinder, and when the cylinder rotates, it produces a square wave, which sends a, an acknowledgement signal to the BCM, which acknowledges that to the PCM, and if it all matches, then it enables ignition and fuel to, Correct. to turn on. And if that cylinder is misaligned or loose or whatever, it may not produce the proper square wave. For instance, if it binds a little bit and then jerks, it may go past it too quick to read, and then it'll throw a fault code, and it sees the cylinder turning without acknowledgement, so it's going to shut the vehicle down. It exactly. thinks somebody's jimmy in the lock cylinder. Exactly. Yeah, that's relatively common on GM. Ford has a similar problem on theirs. They have a little sensor that goes around that. That can cause an intermittent no-start, and it'll drive you crazy. We get people changed just a ton of parts trying to fix that problem. They say, man, every once in a while my car won't start, and... I changed the battery, I changed the cable, all yeah. stuff changed. Thousands and, of dollars yeah, worth of parts. Yeah, it's a little $100 sensor in there that it just thinks it's being stolen. And if you had a Ford scan tool, you can go in and retrieve, see you got 15 theft codes in the exactly. BCM. So, And you, you can't get to those with just a code reader. So yeah, they're going to be stored in the, in the body control module or chassis control module. Which is not, uh, not accessible of, with a code reader. Right, it's not part of the power control module, even though it may also set a code in power control module if it happens i guess if it's an invasive enough code but sure if it just sees something quirky it may not acknowledge that in the pcm it may only be in the bcm which you have to have a little more sophisticated equipment to actually get to but theft 
control codes and theft control problems. A lot of people don't even realize that they have a theft control system on their vehicle, but virtually every vehicle built today has some form. Sure. It's of, it's invisible. You never know it's there yeah. until it acts up on you. It's a passive system. It's looking for certain conditions to be met before it will acknowledge and allow the fuel pump to turn on. And a lot of times people will not be able to start their vehicle and they'll replace the fuel pump because the fuel pump's not running. Exactly. And it still doesn't run. Well, it's not running because it doesn't it's have current flowing right. to it because of theft system's got it shut down so and, and one proper check would eliminate well, it that's about a 700 dollars lesson right there there you go <laughs> and unfortunately you may not get as good a fuel pump on there as you had before so it may be a 1400 dollars lesson <laughs> <laughs> in, yes sir in retrospect so let's go back to our phone lines with eric good morning eric good morning yes sir good morning. gentlemen i missed you last week by the way okay i've got one that's probably going to require bringing the car in but i've got an 03 lexus ls 430 mm-hmm and I had a popping noise in the front suspension. Okay. That's the way it sounded to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the shocks or struts, whichever, changed out, and the noise is still there. Yeah. It's getting progressively worse. Okay. okay. Just wonder if you have any experience oh, yeah. with Absolutely. That. Yeah, there's, Absolutely. Yeah, there's several other parts under there that can cause a noise like that. Yeah, and what happens, Eric, if you go in and say, I got a noise in the front end, change the struts. Well, well that's what they're then you got to blame yourself because you misdiagnosed the problem and they did what you told you to do. Now, if you go in to the proper shop and you say, I've got a noise in the front end, tell me what it is, you're going to get that fixed. But the stabilizer end links are notorious for that noise. The sway bar frame bushings are notorious for that noise. And the upper strut mounts are also notorious for that noise. Well, they are? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. And see, Especially they, they had the mounts out when they changed the struts. If they didn't change the mounts, you just basically paid a whole lot of money for, for nothing. <laughs> so in other words, if they put the old mount absolutely. in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You still have noise. Mm-hmm. See, that's so just then, a, that's a rubber cushion up top. It's bonded to two pieces of metal, an insert and an outsert. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that bond breaks and it starts rattling mm-hmm. because so the strut is now bouncing up and down in there where it was being controlled before. Is it dangerous to drive the car in that condition? Normally not immediately dangerous, but if it completely breaks, I mean, a strut can go through the hood, which is not uh, pleasant. <laughs> Get a big bump on your hood there yeah. with a strut shell sticking out of it. That wouldn't be good. Uh, no, so whoever, it happens. Who, whoever put the struts on there. Well, whoever diagnosed the problem. Right. Uh-huh. Which sounds like might have and, been you. <laughs> and all sure. you can hope for is they use the Toyota struts back yeah. on it. Yeah. Because if they use an aftermarket strut, you're really going to have problems. Yeah, you may be way worse off than you were before you started because those struts oh. normally last about 150,000, 200,000 miles real easy. Oh, do they? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, the sir. Toyota, the factory ones Original do. Lexus struts, right. we rarely change those before 150,000 miles, sometimes wow. 200,000. Well, you guys seem like you got a better uh, angle on this than even the people that did the work on Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. All right, much. Eric. All thank right, you, sir. sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines with Henry. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Mr. Lewis. Yes, Mr. sir. Ryan. I'm Good morning. Brian, and I really enjoy your show. I really love it. Well, thank like you, sir. If I could ever see or ever, if I knew when you was in business, you'd have got all my business. <laughs> I've got a friend, sir. He has an old 2 Dodge pickup mm-hmm. truck. Engine light was on. He went to get it inspected, and they said he had a mission problem, and they okay. diagnosed the gas cap. So okay. gets the gas cap changed, light goes off, mm-hmm. he goes back over there and inspects and they wouldn't inspect it. Yeah, see, it's going to have what they call readiness tests. Okay, and what a readiness test is, Henry, that vehicle has about 2,000 tests that it has to execute before it's going to clear all the monitors. Now, when you replaced the gas cap and cleared the codes, it also cleared the readiness tests. Okay. Okay. Now, those are going to take about a week to 10 days, depending on how you drive, 
for all oh, of them to correct, to pass hey, themselves. There's nothing he has to do. It's going to do it on itself. Is that why they told him that he had to rev his engine up every time he stopped at a red light? No. And uh, mm. put miles on it. No, you well, don't have to rev the engine on up, it, but put you, miles you have to on put it, yeah. some miles on it. Because he's only got 42,000. The truck's uh, 11 years old. Yeah, no, it has to no. see certain conditions. For instance, if he filled it up with gas okay. right after he did it, it's not yes. going to run that test until it gets below three-quarters of a tank. Okay. And it won't run it if it's below a quarter of a tank. So okay. one of the tests requires between a quarter and three-quarters of a tank of gas. Also okay. requires a cold start. A cold start. It's going to require some idle times. It's going right. to require some highway driving. Okay at okay. 65 miles an hour you know several criteria if okay. he just drives it normally for about a week or so it ought to pass all the tests all right sir and then he can go back and get it yes yeah, sir and all the only right. other option is if the light comes back on then they may have misdiagnosed the problem he may still have a problem present all right sir if, it, if anything happens i'll call you back and let you know the all results. Right. i appreciate it sir all right, Henry. God bless y'all yes sir, sir. thank, thank you, you. Bye -bye. on the radio now man uh, i'm gonna do it man bye-bye right, thank you bye-bye uh -huh. 499-9526. We're going to take our last quick little break. Brian and Roger, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. If you just join us, we really will. <laughs> I'm Lewis Alexander. Got Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we got Roger online. Good morning, Roger. Hello, how are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a, a friend of mine who's got a 02 Trailblazer, and we have a big 18-wheeler. We was pulled up beside it. One of the rear tires blew out on the 18-wheeler and made a dent in the right front fender. wasn't a big dent. Well, after that, the, the trailblazer wouldn't do anything. wouldn't start, wouldn't do anything. Do you have any ideas? Hmm. No, it immediately would not start after that happened? No, it wouldn't start. Did it uh, die? No, it, it wasn't running. Okay, it was sitting parked when it occurred? Right. Okay. And then it would turn over, but it wouldn't start. Yeah, I'm not, not real familiar with that, Roger. That's kind of strange. I've seen it happen on Fords because they have what they call an inertia switch, which will cut the fuel pump off if the vehicle is bumped or something like that. I've never is seen that on a Trailblazer. Does that come some kind of safety? No, no, not no, on a GM. Not, not on a GM product. Ford's got that, but not General Motors. Engine computer is probably located somewhere close to that area. The only thing I can think of now, I wonder if that tire blew out or was a big truck parked as well? Right, they park next to each other? Yeah. I'll tell you something. Now, this is kind of a reach, but it could possibly happen if lightning struck that big truck, and that's what blew the tire out, because that's what it'll do. Lightning will strike it, and wherever it exits, it's going to take the tire out. 
a lightning strike next to the big yeah. truck would have definitely interfered with some of the electrical system on your truck. I'll be that well, does happen. I've seen it happen before. It's not very common, but it can sure happen. So the, so the computer, one way or the other, has probably got a problem. Well, possibly computer or possibly something else, but it's like any other diagnosis for a no-start. You'd have to start out. It's got to have four things to run. It's got to have fuel, spark. It's got to have timing, and it's got to have compression. Well, it's not likely compression would be affected, so you're into either timing, spark, or fuel, and could have burned out the fuel pump relay if, if an electrical uh, current yeah. went through it. So there's lots right. of things. You just need to tow that to somebody who knows what to do and have them check it for you and see what it is because you're going to waste a lot of money throwing parts at it and probably never hit the problem. But I would yeah. almost suspect maybe a lightning strike took the tire out in a big truck because you had trucks sitting up pretty high in the air. The lightning is going to hit a metal part. It's going to travel all the way through the body. and It's going to come out down by the road you know, close to the ground. And where it exits, it's just like a rifle bullet going through it. It's going to take the tire out, and it puts a lot of current in the air all around it, and it could have definitely affected your vehicle. Okay, well, great. I appreciate your time, and it sounds like it might be a reasonable. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing I could think of. Thank you, sir. All right, Mr. Rogers, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Brian on the line. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I bought my daughter an 09 Chevy Cobalt. Okay. At 40 miles an hour, the RPM fluctuates up and down, up and down. How much is it fluctuating, Brian? Between one and two, somewhere in that range. Is the engine actually speeding up and down, or is it just the gauge moving back and forth? Well, I feel the engine surging and hesitating, surging okay. and hesitating. Okay, and okay. so it's actually up going up and down that right. much then. Mm -hmm. I would suspect it's probably got some kind of a misfire in the engine, and that's what's making it go up and down. The only other thing I could think of is if the transmission were shifting up and down would do the same thing. Can you tell if it feels like the, the transmission shifting, or is it just like the engine's losing power, or what does it feel like? No, I don't think the transmission is shifting out of gears. I, I believe it's just surging mm -hmm. up and down at that right in that range. Now, yes. once I get to 50 miles an hour, it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it at idle. Mm -hmm. And it continues to do it at that range? It just does it for a brief second. If I keep the car at 40 miles an hour, it'll keep doing Continue it. Continue doing it. One thing you could try is actually take it out of overdrive and mm -hmm. pull it down in third and see if it still does it at the same mile an hour. Right, and there's if you uh, third gear rather than overdrive and then drive 40 miles an hour and see if it's still there, or is it now at 30 miles an hour or 35 miles an hour. What that tells you is that it's an engine-related problem and not a driveline-related problem because when you shift it to a lower gear, the RPM is going to change in relation to the miles per hour. So try that first and drive it and see if the speed range where it occurs is different. If it is, then I would suspect it's probably the engine running problem. Now, if you drop it down, say, into second gear, take it up to 40 mile an hour, and it is not doing it at all, then it's definitely going to be because what you've done, you change the load on the engine considerably when you go down to second gear. So it's probably load and speed related. Things that can cause a misfire in that range are multiple. Something like a bad ignition coil will generally show up at that speed range. Something like a throttle position sensor with a bad glitch or glad spot in it can cause that type of thing. Even something like a map sensor can actually cause that at a certain range. So try shifting to a different gear and try it and see if, what that does to the mile per hour range where it occurs. Okay, well, we'll check that out, and I may be seeing you soon. Okay, sounds great, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automobile, I always still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to answer any questions you might have. You know, that's one symptom you don't want to start throwing a lot of parts at. Well, you could throw parts at that or just about any symptom on a modern car today. And 
I said many, many times, you run out of money way before you run out of guesses. Most definitely, and you may cause more problems than you already have because well, of the quality of parts you're able to access. That's right, because you may be taking off better parts than you're putting on. You may actually create a second problem, and also there's always the chance of a misinstallation or something like that creating another problem. And you can just get off into a tangent spending money and not really ever get close to the problem. I'm writing an article right now on voltage drop testing, and that's a method of testing that is not real common in the do-it-yourself realm, but it's extremely handy in the professional realm. And that's where you measure the current flowing around a circuit, which basically tells you the resistance in a circuit. And you can find an awful lot of problems like that. So that's one of the type things. But there are testing methods for checking things. And if we don't understand how something works. That's why I always say your equipment does not make a diagnostic tech. Sure. You can have all the equipment in the world and you still can't fix the car if you don't understand how it works. In other words, you can check a circuit, have 12 volts, but it still doesn't operate because it's got high resistance and under load, it doesn't have 12 volts. Right. It may have one strand of wire connected to a ground. So if you check it with a voltmeter, it's not having any load. It's going to show 12 volts. Sure. However, when the solenoid actuates or the part comes on, the voltage drops to six or five or whatever, and it does not operate. Right. So it's just incomplete information that you've gained from a voltmeter. You have to understand how to use all that type of stuff. Sure. So that's an article that will be coming up. In the near future, I think I've got one more ahead of it. Uh-huh. Trying to write those. I write several of them at a time. Right, and, and just post them. They come on every they week. They come online automatically at the proper time, uh-huh. so I kind of lose sight sometimes of how many there are on there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're just about out of time for today. I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, and give us a written rating. We really appreciate that. Yeah, I really do. That kind of tells us we're doing a good job. It also moves us up in the ratings on iTunes so that more folks can listen. Of course, if you listen on Stitcher or any other fine rebroadcasts we appreciate you just as much there you go (laughs) (laughs) hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend